Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big. Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we share our journey of reading three books that are inspiring us to embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. We are most active on Twitter, so follow hashtag Big Strong Yes for discussion and announcements. You can follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones. You can also email us at bsy at chipperish.com. Yes, and if you are a Patreon supporter, we have a big, strong yes chat room on Discord where we both hang out and answer questions and give support, but mostly it is all of you guys hanging out and doing amazing work in there. So it's very, very cool. And you're not limited to the 140 or 280, if you're very special, Twitter characters that you get. Um, so join us at patreon.com slash chipperish. And we want to thank everyone for the support you're giving the show and for playing along with us online. So all of the things that you send out on Twitter and the graphics that you make and the comments that you leave mean so much to us. And it just motivates us to keep doing the show and, and to keep sharing it with people. So if you enjoy Big Strong Yes, please give us a review on the Apple Podcast app because this is the best way to help people find the show and to help us promote the show. Absolutely. Uh, the reading we're going to be discussing today is Big Magic Part 3, Permission, Remove the Suggestion Box Through, Try This Instead. And next week's reading is going to be Big Magic Part 3, Permission, Your Teachers Through the Central Paradox. Go to chipperish.com and search Big Strong Yes Schedule to find all the information about what we're reading and when. And also the link is in the show notes. Absolutely. So, homework? Homework. homework. Oh my God. <laughs> well, my homework last week was clearing the decks. Basically, mm -hmm. I had a bunch of stuff that I had to get done, you know, last minute kind of details and, and whatnot, uh, clearing everything so that I could absolutely like, you know, be there for my creativity. And I did that to a certain degree, but there's still some other stuff that I have to take care of. So I'm, I'm working on it now <laughs> still getting everything done i wasn't able to do like as much creatively as i wanted to do this week but i was able to kind of like clear out some major major hurdles so uh so that was pretty good how about you so i did some homework that wasn't on the list um and rebooted my podcast called the southern fried scholar yay i loved <laughs> it it was so great to hear that again thank you there was a show about lifelong learning, creativity, and intellectual badassery, and I'm glad to be working on it again. So it's a different kind of creativity than the writing and the poetry and the music, but I love it. It's still creativity, though. I mean, when you're you are creating something that didn't exist before you made it. So that is creativity. Yeah. Um, so my actual homework was to write a gratitude list and to open up to working with the kinds of ideas that want to work with me. <laughs> so I'll say check and check oh good for you um, the gratitude list took a turn like the joy list it started wide and a little shallow but then deepened to the things that are most in my heart right now and so i would say i'm most grateful for friendship for this feeling of being reacquainted with inspiration for some powerful self-clarity that seems to be coming to me 
for a story idea that has swept me off my feet in love. Oh, love and it. for the music of Sam Smith, who has been soothing my soul all week. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I now have a folder on my computer called Poetry Slut. And this <laughs> cracks me up every single day. <laughs> but this book idea that has failed me, we are trying each other on. And it's like slow dancing in a burning room, y'all. That so, is fantastic. We'll I love goes. that. You haven't told me about that. That's pretty I cool. I have not. It just kind of <laughs> happened when I was out of town and I'll have to catch you up and it's, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So how are your reflections this week? Well, I think that mostly, you know, what I was connecting with um, from last week's discussion was this idea of of kind of like the nose to the grindstone, you know, like doing the work, the daily grind of it all, where you just kind of get down and do the thing every day. And I mean, I'm cutting myself some slack because things have been a little tough recently. I've had to pick myself up again from being knocked down again. Um, but this is it. I want to get back into the novel. I want to write the house story works book. Um, I need to keep pursuing this new thing that I'm not really talking about that much, but is, is really, really cool. So I'm working on that. Um, and that means I just, I have to stop getting distracted by stuff that isn't good for me. So, you know, I have shit to do and I like this kind of work ethic ideal that we got from last week, you know, mm-hmm. where you just sit down and you work at it like a farmer. When she was talking about like going at her creativity like a farmer. Yeah. I loved that idea because it is this this idea of this just work ethic. You just sit down and you do it. And it's great to be inspired. And I think that when you sit down and you do the work, the inspiration does come find you. You know, that is a whistle to your creativity. Um, and it applies to everything that you want to do. You look at everything that you need to do. And when you think about like how huge it all is, it becomes overwhelming. But if you take it step by step, 20 minutes by 20 minutes, do a little bit every day, you make the progress that you need to make. So that's kind of what I've been reflecting on is just that going at it like a farmer, you know? (laughs) Well, how are you doing? How are your reflections? So I had a stressful week of travel, but Atlanta loves me and I love Atlanta. And you can take the girl out of the honky tonk, but you can't take the honky tonk out of the girl. So I had fun. (laughs) I had fun while I was there. Um, I read Big Magic and listened to a great audio book on the plane and flirted with about a dozen Uber drivers. You so did. Okay. You were texting me about those Uber drivers, I man. I had so much fun. <laughs> they were so adorable. <laughs> Uber drivers in Atlanta apparently are very cute. And very flirtatious. And it, oh, was, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was really fun. Um, yeah, we had a good time. Oh, good. Including like a whole discussion of linguistics and English language learning with one yeah. of my Uber drivers, which for me is, you know, about as fun right. as it gets. I mean, so, that's that's basically sex. I mean, for really. You. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It was great. (laughs) So, um, and I agree with you that 20 minutes is a magical amount of time. Yes. Um, Otherwise, I think I would fall into this new story and let the world just fall away from me. So I have been using a timer. Mm -hmm. The timer helps so, so much. It really does. It's crazy how valuable that is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But the writing I've been doing this week is unlike any I've done before. And it feels equally intoxicating and nerve wracking. Like, I'm writing scenes in my head during the day yeah, at work or uh-huh. during meetings or while I'm driving or 
just doing the laundry. It's crazy. Yeah. And so it's fiction, this thing that you're working on? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And seeing the characters as real people and like seeing mm-hmm. scenes play out in my head. And that has never, ever happened to me before. Really? Wow. Never. Oh, that's Never. awesome. That's my favorite part. Oh, well, it's weird. So <laughs> like to my rational mind, I think I should be learning the process of creativity, like learning to engage with fiction and learning a writing process that works for me. But this isn't a process. Like I can't yeah. think my way through it. And that part is driving me crazy. <laughs> it's just something like I'm feeling and experiencing yeah. and doing and getting caught up in and losing mm-hmm. time to and it feels so much like falling in love that I feel ridiculous talking about it. And I'm also worried about jinxing it. So no, that's I'm like, very much what it is. I don't know, yeah. Lottie, you have to guide me here. Cause I don't know what this is. <laughs> that is no, that is your creativity. This is the thing. Like, I think that for so long, you've kind of shut down this side of yourself because you had really real things that you needed to deal with, you know? Yeah. And, um, but this, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what the experience is. When you get inspired to write fiction, it, it is like falling in love. It just kind of takes over everything. Um, yeah. And you're, you're thinking about it all day long and you're imagining all this stuff and, and stuff will just come to you in a moment. So you have to be ready to take notes everywhere. I mean, I got to tell you, the best thing in the world is like the phone, oh, you know, the God, fact that yes. you can say, hey, Siri, you know, okay, now yep. my phone is going to go off. But, um, but the fact that you can, you know, say, hey, Siri, okay, Google or whatever, and mm-hmm. then, you know, have it record you like even while you're driving down the street, the best thing to do is to learn how to get Siri to do that just through voice commands or, or Google to do that through just through voice commands so that you could just record the audio. I used to have a little mini tape recorder in my car. So if I was driving and something came to me, I would turn it on and just play it and listen to it. But the fact that you can do that with your phone so easily, you know, with like simple voice commands, it's yeah. fabulous. And it makes it so much safer for everybody else on the road with oh, us, yeah. you yeah. know, <laughs> with fiction and I, drivers. And I've been using the notes app a lot mm-hmm. too, because I'll just jot down a yeah. sentence or two or an idea yeah. just really quickly and but I've I've never like this has never happened to me before wow. so it's I just feel unbalanced and oh yeah weird. No, that's how and it I'm is. like I can't describe this coherently which doesn't make for great podcasting but <laughs> <laughs> this is this is where I'm at y'all <laughs> but the novel got you you know I mean that's just what it is like there's that's that's what it is when there's a book you know, and it just, it's there and it wants to, to be written and it's chosen you. Well, I'm kind of glad. Well, that's pretty I cool. Like <laughs> I like it too. I think that's fabulous. Well, thank you. Do you want to dive into the reading? <laughs> Let's go ahead and dive into the reading. Okay. So she started with the idea of removing the suggestion box. What do you think yeah. about um It's very, very good. Um, One of these things, and she didn't really go into it too much here but there is this thing that um that happens a lot with writers and it's it's where you're constantly looking for somebody else's feedback Mm -hmm. and god forbid once a writer gets a following it like gets enough people who are there to like give feedback all the time it is really tempting to go to them all the time and be like well i have this idea what do you think you know um and i think i i love this idea of removing the suggestion box you know Mm -hmm. on page 83 she says i think it was my parents example of quietly impudent self-assertion that gave me the idea that I could be a writer, or at least that I could go out there and try. 
you know, and and so much of of what Elizabeth Gilbert does that I really appreciate is that she doesn't look for permission. You know, she doesn't look for somebody to say, okay, is this a good idea? She just goes and does it. And, you know, I've always been the type of person that I've looked for the approval of other people throughout my life on everything that I've done. And I've taken bad advice, like, way too often because of that, you yeah. know? Um, you know, but creatively, when I'm in a story, when I'm in a book, I've basically known what works. And, and most of the time, if the feedback doesn't contradict what it is that I'm trying to do, I've been able to incorporate it and kind of strengthen the work that way. But I think that getting feedback from too many people, you know, getting too much input, especially in the early days, especially before you, it's the, before the work is finished, before it's had that time to cool, mm-hmm. um, it can be really destructive. And so I kind of, like this, this sense of, you know, I don't need somebody to tell me what it is that I'm supposed to do. I don't need somebody to, you know, give me suggestions about how this book should work out. I'm going to go and I'm going to write it. I'm going to create it. And after the fact, we'll talk, you know, and, uh, and I kind of like that. How did you respond to that? I like that too. And, And like, even with this thing that I'm writing now, it feels like I'm just telling myself an incredible bedtime story. Oh, that's awesome. You know, and right now I'm just telling it to myself. So I'm Mm -hmm. not even like thinking about sharing it or getting opinions on it or anything like that because it's just for me, Mm -hmm. which is also a way I've never written before. And I think it's better. You don't want to write by focus group. You really don't. No, definitely not. But Mm -hmm. I I really loved some of the things that she said about her father in here. Um, On page 82, she said, he didn't quit his day job to follow his dream. He just folded his dream into his everyday life. I love that. Uh, and I'm like, if only it was as easy as folding the laundry. Like, I, I struggle <laughs> with this so, so much. Mm-hmm. But but I love the idea of folding a dream into your daily life. You just bring you know? it in. Yeah. yeah. It's that 20 minutes a day. You right. know, I love that, you know, he wanted goats, so he went and got goats. He yes, wanted to do a Christmas tree farm. So he just, you know, bought a farm and started, you know, uh, doing Christmas, Christmas trees, trees while at the house. same time continuing with his everyday life. Right. You know, and I think that that's something that you have to do because there are daily considerations. You have to, you know, pay the bills and you have to meet your responsibilities. But you can do that while at the same time you know, indulging this creativity. It's just that you don't have to be 100% one or the other, you know, again, 20 minutes a day, an hour a day, Mm -hmm. you know, to go to that thing, you can do that, you know. Um, But the idea that like, you have to throw yourself into, you know, creativity 100% in order to be able to have any value come out of it. That's just not how it works. And, And I like the idea of that, you know, of folding that in. But I also like what she talked about, in terms of, Self capability, mm-hmm. you know, and she's on page 83. She said, When my father grew curious about things, he pursued them. He had solid faith in his own capabilities. And it reminds me of a learning theory called self efficacy by Albert Bandura that really says so much of our motivation and our success is simply based on our faith in our own ability wow. to do the thing that we want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that. Mm hmm. That's very cool. Um, I like on page 85, she says, it also never occurred to me to ask an authority figure for permission to become a writer. Yeah. You know, and I like that too, you know, that like you don't have to ask anybody to do the things that you want to do. You don't have to make sure that you're like super qualified first. You just go and you do them. Right. 
And you know? I liked on page 84, she, she spoke to my rebel heart. Oh, she yeah. She said, I don't like people telling me what to do. <laughs> well, I am yeah. not at all confrontational. <laughs> I am deeply stubborn. And this stubbornness helps when it comes to the business of creative living. Oh, and yeah. In the book, I wrote, preach. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I am also stubborn and hate with a fiery passion being told what to do. Yeah. But while I am stubborn and determined to a fault in many areas of my life, it has never been that way for creativity. Mm-hmm. So until recently, creative living has always been at the bottom of the list, and I haven't had any stubbornness about it. Uh-huh. So right. I think that's kind of a new thing, too. No, I like that. I mean, I like this idea of this cheerful stubbornness, yeah. you know, and the older I get, I think the more cheerfully stubborn I get, you know, yeah. just about certain things. Like, there's certain things that just like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to do it, you mm-hmm. know, um, and I like that. I think that that's really nice. I mean, when I was younger, I was so concerned with what everybody else thought about what I was doing and if it was okay and if it was appropriate and all this kind of stuff, you know, and I needed that approval. And now I feel like I don't need that anymore. And I think that nobody needs that. Nobody, you don't need anybody to rubber stamp this thing. If it's something you feel like you want to do, then do it. So then how did you feel about her talking about permission slips? Um, you know, I liked what she was saying about permission slips, because basically it was, okay, you have blanket permission, let's just move on. (laughs) (laughs) But I loved on page 88, she said human beings have been creative beings for a really long time, long enough and consistently enough that it appears to be a totally natural impulse. And, uh, and I absolutely think that that's, that's true. You know, she was talking about how, you know, we, we figured out how to make creative things and make little baubles and jewelry before we figured out agriculture, you know, which means Mm -hmm. that somewhere in our collective evolutionary story, she says, we decided it was way more important to make attractive, superfluous items than it was to learn how to regularly feed ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) And I love that. Yeah, no, I love that. I loved how she talked about everyone being a creative being that it's Mm -hmm. not something you decide you just simply are right Mm -hmm. and on page 89 she said we have the senses for it we have the curiosity for it we have the opposable thumbs for it we have the rhythm for it we have the language and the excitement and the innate connection to divinity for it Mm -hmm. and I was like god this woman can write yes um Mm -hmm. and then it felt like divinity was calling back to rising strong Mm-hmm. And in that way, you know, Big Strong Guess is really making me reframe my concept of divinity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. no, I thought that that was really, really cool. Um, on page 88, she said some of the art that people have created across the centuries is absolutely sublime and probably did emerge from a grand sense of seriousness and sacredness. But a lot of it didn't. And then she goes into the whole like drawing penises on the wall thing, which of course, <laughs> I mean, if you go back and you know, you look through cave drawings and like, like people have been drawing penises forever. Like that's like <laughs> one of the first creative things that people did was draw penises on the wall. And I think that it's, it's a nice kind of reference to creativity is creativity. You know, it doesn't have to be you know, this high art, you know, serious thing, it can be whatever it's going to be. And if you are drawn to it, if there is something that you are feeling like you want to be creative, you know, you want to create something, then you should do it and not worry about whether or not it is it is a serious enough pursuit to justify your time. I think that there is this this nature, you know, within human nature, it is just a creative nature, we create things all the time. 
And that's just what we do. And so some of the stuff you create may end up being, you know, high art may end up being something that is, you know, faded through the years. And it may end up being penises on the wall. It doesn't matter. The fact that you create it is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love her take on that. Mm -hmm. And as the mother of a teenage boy, I can testify to the fact that penises get drawn on everything. Penises get drawn on everything. <laughs> Humans don't outgrow that. <laughs> but I love how she connected that idea of sort of decorating the world to decorating yourself. And she had that great story about her friend that just gets tattoos yes. randomly, you know. Oh, I wish I could do that. I have been wanting to do a tattoo. Me too. Wanting to get a tattoo forever. And Me I've too. always been stopped by, you know, am I going to want to have this thing on my body forever? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that. I know that I want one. I've wanted one since mm -hmm. I was eight years old. Yeah. But, and probably several once I get mm -hmm. the first one. I just haven't found the right designs yet or the courage to face the pain because I am terrified of needles. Oh, yeah. But it is no. on the life list. Like I want real. it too. Like I want to get, but I think the thing is like the first one, like her friend who just kind of goes and gets a tattoo and whatever, you mm -hmm. know, whatever it's like, if you have a lot of tattoos, I think that that becomes a lot easier because it's just one more. You know, right. you're just marked up. But when you haven't had a tattoo, like yeah. I have not gotten one yet and I've wanted one forever, but there's so much pressure on it. Like it has to be something that I want on my body forever. When I look back on my life and I think about what would I have tattooed, you know, 15 years ago, five years ago, it would have been about, you know, the men I was married to at that time. And like, I don't want them on my body. I think as a general rule, you should never do that. No, you <laughs> like, should never do that. Never but the it would name be, of someone like, else, unless when, it's a no, poet. But it's not even the name. It's like whenever I was married to somebody, I kind of gave over my my life and my thoughts and everything to to what he wanted and what he liked and what he you know approved of you know yeah. so it would have been something that like had to do with them and that's a reason why I think I, I can never get married again aside from the fact that I just don't want to it hasn't worked out well I haven't enjoyed either experience I'm going to let that go um but but it's also like when I'm with a man I give over my identity to him and it's just something I've done, you know, in every marriage and every relationship, every serious relationship I've been in. And if I get a tattoo on my body, I want it to be about me. Amen. You know, Plus, I, I don't know how to change, do I that. Think you should yeah. change your verb tense. Yeah. From I give myself to I gave myself because you're not doing that shit anymore. Well, let's hope not. <laughs> no, you're not. God knows there'll be another freaking man around the corner, you know. <laughs> No, no, you are wiser. You are so much stronger than you used to be. You're not yeah, going to do that so. again. I hope so. But I don't know. I mean, it's something that I've always done. So I'm, I'm avoiding relationships for the moment just simply because I don't know. I don't know if I would do that again. Like when I throw myself into a love relationship, whatever relationship it is, you know, I mean, with my kids, like I'm like that too. Like I throw myself into that relationship and it is all about them. But with kids, that's that's a certain amount of like, that's the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed yeah. to be about them, you know, because you're the parent. Um, but with men, I've done it too. And I have to not do that ever again. <laughs> well, know? I have told you before, and I mm -hmm. will tell you again, no one who really loves you will take away anything that's yours. Yeah. No, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. So we're just going to find the right man <laughs> who would not do that and who doesn't have to be told by the way, not yes. to do that. 
Yeah, you know, someday. We'll see. But anyway, <laughs> not right now. Right now it's, it's, okay. uh, it's One day it'll be you and me in a tattoo parlor and it'll be great. Oh, no, we should totally do that. But yeah. that's the thing. Like, I just can't imagine like right if I'm ever going to get a tattoo, I need to do it like right now because I'm afraid that if I get involved with another man that I'm going to be you know, <laughs> lost to that or whatever, that I'm going to do the same thing I've always done. Um, but I love this on page 92. She says it comes from a place of, hey, why not? Mm-hmm. And there is something about that philosophy. Hey, why not? You know, it's all temporary. The tattoos are permanent, but my body is temporary. My life is temporary. So why not mark it up? You know, I love that idea. Hey, why not? As a matter of fact, if I get a tattoo, that might be it. Hey, why not? (laughs) Why not? Right. Like, Uh, fuck it. Although my, my, you know, tattoo would probably more be like, fuck it. But... (laughs) (laughs) This sucks and that sucks and everything sucks and It sucks and fuck it. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I loved it on page 91 um, when she spun the idea of a tattoo in a way that only Elizabeth Gilbert can. Yes. And she she said, I also want to live the most vividly decorated temporary life that I can. I don't just mean physically. I mean emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. I don't want to be afraid of bright colors or new Mm -hmm. sounds or big love or risky decisions or strange experiences or weird endeavors or sudden changes or even failure. And I just wrote, amen, and me too. Yeah. No, Except I, I wanted to that. go back when she said emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually, and just add grammatically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I mean, it's, it is it is this wild embracing of life, you know, oh, and just, wait, hey, hold on. why not? Mandy Kay? <laughs> <laughs> A wild embracing of life, please? <laughs> The wild embracing of life. Now, what we should do is go through all of the Mandy Kay quotes that she has put together and just get those tattooed all over. That's a damn good idea. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lovely idea. I like it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I like that. Like, you know, we're we're here, right? You know, yeah. we're in this thing and nobody knows. Nobody knows if there is some kind of big meaning to all of this or if this is just you just get this you know 60 to 100 years and that's it you know and whatever happens happens you know um but but if you can embrace the moment and embrace the life that you're given and be creative in that space and draw a fucking penis on the wall whatever you know <laughs> do the thing be creative yeah i don't know i mean it's just i like that the decorate yourself segment had this sense of fuck it to it, which I really liked. Me too. <laughs> Me too. It's just my kind of girl. Yes, but absolutely. It, it's just sort of bleeding over into this new life mantra of mm-hmm. I want to dance. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like the, the best way that I know to express it is mm-hmm. I just want to dance. Yeah. And I think that you should. And now Whitney know? Houston is singing in my head. Oh, man. No, that's I want to dance with somebody, <laughs> I right? I want to dance with somebody <laughs> who loves me. Which, by the uh, way, apparently yeah. my creativity does. So I think I'm Your creativity trick. does. I told you. Big sloppy wet kiss. <laughs> so um, this brings us into entitlement. Yes. Which is a great section of the book. Yes. No, I love this idea of entitlement. And on page 92, she says, you will never be able to create anything interesting out of your life if you don't believe that you are entitled to at least try. And there is this big 
negative connotation with entitlement because it is usually the realm of the mediocre white man, right? You know, like and she'll get into this later in the book. Like the, you know, the guy who's like 48% qualified for something thinks that he can totally do it. And the woman who's like 99.9% is like, oh no, I need that 0.1%, you know? Um, but this idea of entitlement that you are entitled, that this is something that is is part of you and it is okay for you to claim it. You know, I mean, I love that. And Mindy Kaling actually did a riff on entitlement in her book, Why Not Me, mm -hmm. which I really, really loved. And one of the things she said was, confidence is just entitlement. Entitlement has gotten a bad rap because it's almost used exclusively for the useless children of the rich reality TV stars and Conrad Hilton Jr. who gets kicked off an airplane for smoking pot in the lavatory and calling people peasants or whatever. But entitlement in and of itself isn't so bad. Entitlement is simply the belief that you deserve something. And I love that. It is simply the belief that you deserve something. Yeah. And I think that you do, you deserve your creativity. And one of the things that she connects that to is, you know, so how did I make sure that I deserved it? And she goes into this whole thing about working hard, mm -hmm. that when you work hard, you deserve the thing that you are working hard for. And it is okay to say, okay, I deserve this. I've worked for it. Yeah. Well, and, and this section almost, threw me into a strong challenge. Oh, yeah? But it didn't. I was able to okay, hold good. on to it. Good, good. Because on page 92, she said, but in order to live this way, you must possess a fierce sense of personal entitlement, which I hope you will learn to cultivate. Yeah. And that's a big paradigm shift for me because it's moving from the idea of creative desire mm -hmm. to creative entitlement. Right. You know, and that's a big shift in my head. Yeah, but I think you need to do that, though. I mean, I think it's it's completely right. You know, we do have this this highly negative association with entitlement because most of the people who feel entitled to things don't deserve the things that they feel entitled to. Right. But you absolutely, everybody is entitled to their creativity. You know, I mean, that is absolutely something that is innate and inborn. It is within you and it is fighting to get out. You are entitled to express that creativity. You are not entitled to do whatever you want for whatever reason you want, just simply because you exist, you know? Mm -hmm. But if you're willing to work hard for the things that you want, if you're willing to, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and make that shit happen, yes, you are entitled to it, right. you know? And your creativity is something that you are absolutely entitled to. Because it is just part of being human. It's just part of who you are. Well, and she had this great callback to Rising Strong on page 96 mm -hmm. as well, when she said that inner demon or that inner critic in you will say, who the hell do you think you are? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And her answer was, I'm on a mission of artistic liberation. So let the girl <laughs> go. Right. Like speaking to a hostage negotiator, yes. right? <laughs> and, and so I wrote like with a big pink marker, like, yes, yes. on the page. Mm -hmm. And if I had to pick a tattoo at the second, it would be let the girl go. Let the girl go. Oh, absolutely. Let's go get those. They'll be yeah. matching. <laughs> Because I just loved it. <laughs> yeah. No, let the girl go. You know, this this nasty voice that she talks about, who the hell do you think you are? Which goes back to rising strong. Who yep. do you think you are? Who do you think you are? 
not good enough to who do you think you are? It's an immediate flip and there's no intermediary space. Right. But if each one of them has my arms and they're pulling in two different directions. Yeah. God damn it. Let the girl go. Let the girl (laughs) go. I I love that. Love that so much. It was Mm -hmm. great. No, I thought that was really, really good. And I think that that idea of entitlement, I mean, I, I struggle with that too. You know, I struggle with that a lot. Um, But it's something that I'm, I'm kind of really looking to get my peace with. Yeah. Well, then she moves us from entitlement to motives, which I also thought was an interesting juxtaposition of ideas, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and she talked about, don't try to help (laughs) for crying out loud. Don't try to help. (laughs) Page Um, 98. Whenever anybody tells me they want to write a book in order to help other people, I always think, oh, please don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that that is, um, you know, for me, it's always been, I want to do the work that I want to do. You know, I want to do the stuff that I want to do. But I can only do it also if it benefits other people. You know, so I'm I'm kind of I've I've had that kind of thing within me, and it's not that I do it primarily to benefit other people, but if if it also benefits other people, if I can find a way that the creativity that I engage in also benefits other people, then I feel like I can justify it. So I I have a theory on this. Yeah, as someone who has been inspired by your work for a long time, that I don't think it has to come down to the content or the structure or the purpose of the work itself. Mm -hmm. Like there doesn't have to be something inherently helpful about that. Yeah. But it is the example you set. It is the lighting of the way because you're showing what it means to live a creative life. Mm -hmm. And just by doing that, you are giving people an example that they may not otherwise have. And I think Elizabeth Gilbert does that. And I think you do that too. Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think that's part of the reason why I do so much of this outreach through podcasting. Yeah. You know, like we talked about this back in the beginning of Rising Strong, right? Like I wouldn't do Rising Strong and go through all that stuff just for myself. But we did this podcast and there were other people who were engaged in it. And so I felt like if I was doing it for me and also doing it for them, but Mm -hmm. I, I, I have a hard time doing things that are just because I want to do them. Well, I, I loved her answer to this on page mm-hmm. 100. Yes. And it also made me think of this podcast. Mm-hmm. She said, I did not write this book for you. I wrote it for me. I wrote this book for my own pleasure because I truly enjoy thinking about the subject of creativity. Mm-hmm. And I think this to me was what Big Strong Yes is about. Yeah. Because if you and I were trying to teach and help instead of trying to learn and share, yeah. this podcast would not have the soul that it has. No. Mm-hmm. You know. So I yeah, think it's no, an important distinction. No, I think it is. And I think it's also something that um that honestly is just something I I do in my head mm-hmm. because I'm doing the stuff because I genuinely enjoy it. You right. know, I'm doing all of the stuff that I do. I'm doing the criticism that I do. I'm doing all the stuff at Chipperish that I do because I genuinely enjoy it. And the idea that it can be helpful to people makes me feel less guilty about doing it because I enjoy it. But I would like to get to the point where I don't need to justify that to myself, where if I want to do something, I just do it because of the joy of doing it. Because on page 100, she makes a really good point. She says, otherwise, it would just be hard duty and grim martyrdom. Yeah. And that is never what I want to be. And I don't think I've 
been that because I haven't ever done anything solely just because it benefits other people. I do it for myself because I like the work and because I enjoy doing it. And then I convince myself that it's also helpful to other people. And that's what keeps me doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on page 100, though, I think Mm -hmm. she she really spoke to this because she said, it's okay if your work is healing for you or fascinating mm-hmm. for you or redemptive for you, or maybe it's just a hobby that keeps you from going crazy. It's mm-hmm. even okay if your work is totally frivolous. That's allowed. It's all allowed. And I was laughing at myself because I've spent <laughs> entirely too much time over the last couple of days organizing a bookshelf in my bedroom that is now a hundred percent fiction <laughs> And it is ordered in rainbows by the spine colors. I love that. That's (laughs) fabulous. When I get finished with it, the twinkle lights that you gave me are going around it. Oh, I want a picture. Oh, yeah. I will send a picture. But I'm so excited. I have the blues and the greens done. And I I am loving it. And it is frivolous as all hell. I love it. And I love it. You no, know. I think that's fantastic. And that's the kind of thing that you need to do. You know, you need to realize that while you want to help other people, you are also other people. Right. You know, like <laughs> you are one of these people that exists in the universe that you want to help. So, you know, doing things for yourself is not a bad thing. And that has been a huge challenge for me my whole life. And I've been really trying to work with it, you know, recently. Mm-hmm. And I think I've been doing better, but I'm uncomfortable with it. Almost yeah. always. I'm very conscious of it. And see, I don't Almost have, always. I don't have quite the, I must help everyone. I have the, I must take care of everyone. Uh, see, I have the, I must be of service. Yeah. Like, a, otherwise my existence has, you know, like if I'm not, if I'm not of service to people, then, you know, I have, like, it's the whole, I have no value, I have no worth, I have to be beneficial to other people, or there's no reason why, you know, anybody would want to have anything to do with me, like, all that kind of stuff. And I'm more of like, I must provide for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And it speaks more to giving away things that I don't Mm -hmm. want to give away than it does to feeling like I have to do something because it's caring for someone else. Right, but I think it comes from the same place, though. Oh, I think it's just doesn't a it essentially mess, and we got to quit. Go back to worth. <laughs> yes, doesn't it essentially it does. go back to that same fucking thing all the time? Your sense of self worth, lovability, and divinity. It is lovability and divinity. My ass on a daily yeah. basis. No, it really, really does. You know, and it's so it's so hard. But on page ninety nine, she quotes Catherine Whitehorn, who says, "You can recognize the people who live for others by the haunted look." on the faces of the others. Yeah, that was a great quote. (laughs) I loved that. And I thought, oh my God, that is so accurate because Mm -hmm. you put such a weight on other people when everything you do has to be for them. Right. You know? So, yeah. I mean, I you know, the motives part, I thought was really, really good. But one of the things we skipped, though, between um, between uh, the uh, the entitlement and motives was originality versus authenticity. Oh, I'm sorry. You know why no, we skipped okay. it? Because I didn't take any notes on that. You didn't I take any it. notes on that? No, I, I wrote check and I just kept going. I love, no, originality versus authenticity is one of my favorite things. And I've been making this speech to my classes for years because there's so much creativity that gets shut down right away because you're like, well, somebody else did this, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody else did this, somebody else did it better. You know, it was similar to this or whatever. And, um, and the thing is like, I give this speech to my students all the time that I'm like, it doesn't matter. You've never done it. 
And that's what matters. You know, it's, it's, this is your perspective, your view of the world. And nobody else has that but you. Nobody has your voice but you. And there are ways that you can tell that story. I mean, Robin McKinley, who's this fantastic author, oh, those yeah. of you who are not familiar She's with her, are you familiar with her? She does a lot of retelling of fairy tales, mm-hmm. you know? And these are stories that have been told over and over and over again for 500, 1,000 years, you know? But yet she retells them in this really beautiful way. And I think that that has so much value. And had Robin McKinley been like, eh, Beauty and the Beast has been done, you know, you never would have gotten her unique perspective on that particular story. So I look at that and I just think, you know, what if she had said somebody's done this before? Right. You know, I, I think I skipped past it because this is actually an area where I'm fully on board. Yeah. I've, I've <laughs> right. never struggled with the idea of originality versus authenticity. Yeah. I'm such a strong team authenticity girl. But I think it comes from teaching as long as I have, because Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that every person is unique. They have their unique Mm -hmm. magic. You know, most of my teaching philosophy comes from a humanism tradition. And so that power of individuality has always been part of me. So when I read that in the book, I didn't blink. Oh, yeah. No, I love it. I mean, this whole section of the book, I have always, always loved because this is something that I've been talking about for a really, really long time. But it does shut down a lot of people in their creativity. Um, A lot of my students, you know, will come up with an idea and they'll be like, well, it's been done before. And I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) You have done it before. Show me what you got, you know. Um, And it, it also doesn't matter, too, because even if it's been done before, you know, and this is one of the things about like fan fiction, that tends to shut people down, you know, this idea of like, well, you know, if you're just writing, you know, stuff from somebody else made it up and somebody else built the world and somebody else did this and it's all just borrowed and whatever, it still has value. There's still things that you can do within that world and with those characters that can be really incredibly valuable. And it's also a fantastic way to train to build your own world, to build, you know, something new and something different. But you can't tell you know, truly original stories because everything in some sense has been done before. I remember years ago, somebody wrote me an email and they were like, oh, well, you know, I'm writing this book and I have a character who, you know, hits uh, an intruder over the head with a frying pan. But, you know, Jennifer Cruzy did that in Agnes and the Hitman. So I don't think I should do it. Uh, And I'm like, (laughs) first of all, hitting somebody with a frying pan has been done a thousand times before Cruzy ever got her hands on it. And she did it in a wonderful way, but you're going to do it in a different way. Right. You know, and so what? Like, you know, there's been tales of murder throughout the history of man. We're still telling, telling those stories, you know? Um, and there's a reason why, because, you know, you need to take them from different perspectives and different places. And you can't do that until I think, and this ties into the entitlement too, until you feel truly entitled to create, I don't know that you can be that authentic in your creation. Does that make sense? Mm. You know, you have to have that entitlement in order to access your authenticity. I think I see it from the lens of learning because Mm -hmm. I see so many adults struggle with this, that until you embrace your entitlement as a lifelong learner, whether that's in the classroom or out of the classroom or on your own time, until you're able to actually name yourself a lifelong learner, people struggle with, you know, false sense of identities or accreditation or degrees or whatever it is. But if you can fully embrace the idea that you are damn well entitled 
to learn whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And that once you have that expertise, it's yours. Mm -hmm. Then I think that that's probably an exact parallel with what she's talking about with creativity. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you have to embrace that. So I see these things as being, you know, somewhat hand in hand. Yeah. You know, you have to, because to, to, and accessing your authenticity, accessing who you are, you know, and telling a story, even if it's been told before, that comes from an authentic place within you, you know, until you're able to do that, it's just, it, it feels like it's not complete. Well, and it's funny because the story idea that hit me is a yeah. retelling. Um, oh, that's awesome. And it, it's mythology and fairy tale mixed together. I love and that. And it, it never dawned on me to say, well, someone else has already written this. Yeah. I was like, this is how I want this shit to end. And I'm just running with it. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know? I love that that doesn't throw you. You know, we have this, we, we fetishize the, the twist, you know, yeah. in a lot of storytelling. And so I get these young screenwriters in my classes who are like, oh, well, here's the thing. And here's the twist. Here's the, you know, I'm like, I don't care about the twist. The twist mm-hmm. is stupid. You end up putting so much scaffolding on a story to try to hold up this stupid twist. And you're not telling your story. You're right. not, you know, doing your thing because you're so concerned with the twist and the surprise. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't matter. And, you know, the, the example I go to all the time is you have a story, right? Let's say there's a book, like there's a book or there's a movie or there's something that all of us have that we go to all the time that we return to over and over and over again to the point where we can quote it in our head. We know it so well. Nothing in that story is surprising us anymore. Right. You know, but we still go back to it. And that's because there is value in the story itself, in the telling itself. Yeah. When when I go back and watch The Princess Bride, I don't wonder if they're going to succeed storming the castle. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) That's not why why you go back. (laughs) And there are so many other values to, to storytelling. And I mean, the thing that we always end up coming back to, of course, because you and I are both writers, you know, it always comes back to storytelling. But like in any area of creativity, you know, there's, there's always something that you can come back to. There's always something that, like the surprise doesn't matter. Right. You know, what matters is that what is there, what you've created is genuinely you. Yeah, I agree completely. You know? And I think that leads us nicely into the discussion of going to school for creative. <laughs> for which I have to briefly step up on a soapbox. Go, get on it, get on it. <laughs> so I loved her take on this so much. Yeah. And as someone who has taught, you know, middle school, high school, community college, undergraduates, master's students, and doc students, there is a huge difference between schooling and education. Oh, yeah. You know? And Mm -hmm. we interchange them as synonyms, and they are not. They are two completely different things. And every single one of my students, whether they are just starting college at 18 or coming Mm -hmm. back to the classroom at 50, brings a uniquely rich wealth of knowledge and experience, and they do not need me or Mm -hmm. anyone else to validate the fact that they are lifelong learners. Yeah. And for myself, I have learned more from being a single mom for 18 years than I learned Mm -hmm. from my master's and my PhD combined. (laughs) And I just think this perception that we have around accreditation and degrees has been so damaging to so many people And I was so glad to hear her just rip this into pieces. Oh, yeah. No, I think that was fantastic. And the thing is, like, no one needs a degree in a creative field. 
Right. You just don't. It's can you do the thing or can you not do the thing? Do the thing, you know, and you may need a degree if you want to like teach in one of those fields. And Mm -hmm. there's definitely a value. I mean, I see huge value to going to school, to getting degrees, especially in like certain areas or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you don't really need it. Real education is what happens when you just pay attention, when you employ discipline, when you engage your curiosity, and when you go out to find answers to whatever questions you have, you are educating yourself constantly all day, every day. And education is the true value. You know, schooling will get you a job, (laughs) you know, but not in the creative field. Like in the creative field, honestly, doing the work, doing the thing is what's going to get you work. Well, and I've never been swept up by a creative work. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never seen a painting and thought, oh, I need to check that artist's credentials before I take that home. Or, no. you know, fall it into the first chapter of a novel and then stop to look at the degree of the author. No. And you nobody know. asked me when I sent right. my novel, you know, to my agent, to my editors. Nobody was like, well, what is your schooling? Nobody right. cares if you can do the thing. They don't care. And it doesn't matter. There are... There's nothing wrong with going to school. Right. You know, I mean, I am a full believer in going to school because it is this concentrated, you know, focus on education. But what disturbs me a lot is like, you know, I've got a lot of kids, they're in their they're getting their bachelor's degree, you know, which is basically like go in, do the thing, get your degree so that you can get a job, you know, right. because you do need a bachelor's degree at this point, you know, to get a to get a decent job. And that's just kind of how it is. Um, but it is this very transactional kind of attitude that they come in and they're like, okay, if I do X, Y, and Z, you're going to get me, you know, at least this kind of a grade or whatever. And I'm like, the grade doesn't matter. You know, the grade isn't what's important. What's important is that you come in here and you genuinely do the work. And I have to tell you, these kids come in and by the time, by mid-semester, I've usually got them all turned around. You know, I've (laughs) usually got them like, it's about the work and do the work and do the thing. And they're excited and they're engaged. And then they do the work and they get the grade because they did the work. But the work was the thing that mattered. The grade was just something that happened. You know, Um, and getting them turned around on that perspective that it's not this transactional thing. It is this, you know, communal experience. This is the thing that we're going to do together and we're going to find out what you've got. You know, what do you have? What is within you to tell this story? You know, and um, and I love that experience. I love getting to be the one who kind of opens them up to that. But it is you really have to kind of like crack through this this kind of idea that I'm just here to do whatever I've got to do to get this stupid grade so I can move on as opposed to I'm here to learn something. Absolutely. And, and being Elizabeth Gilbert, I Mm -hmm. love that she didn't just go on a rant and leave it. She offered a try this instead, which I thought was fantastic. Yes, Which I absolutely love. Yeah. And on page 107, she said, go more deeply and bravely inward. Take an honest inventory of the education you already have, the years you have lived, the trials you have endured, the skills you have learned along the way, because we all of us have a doctorate in life. And I think that it's so easy to forget that Mm -hmm. when it comes to creative validation. Yeah. And I just love to kind of see how she was like, okay, you don't need a creative degree to do creative work try this instead. (laughs) Yes. No, I thought that was really great. And on page 108, she says, you are already creatively legitimate just by nature of your mere existence here among us. 
you God, know, this woman can write. I'm I know. <laughs> I know. No, it's She's, fantastic. It's wonderful. Yeah, no, I I love that. And I think that there is this sense of, you know, we want to be validated. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to we want to prove that we are legitimate that, you know, and I mean, the thing is that she's like, if you have the money and you can go to school and you can do this stuff, great, do it by all means. But to put yourself into debt, you know, to put that kind of pressure on your creativity that now I've put myself into debt for the sake of my creativity, my creativity now has to pay me back. Right. You know, this transactional kind of perspective on it, I think can be so incredibly damaging because the fact of the matter is that it really is, it's all a crapshoot, whether your creativity is ever going to pay off in any way significantly. It is a complete crapshoot, you know, and, and sometimes you hit the numbers and sometimes you don't, right. but it doesn't mean that, that what you're doing doesn't have value. And to put that kind of pressure on your creativity can be really, really damaging. No, I agree completely. And I think it comes down to intention, you know, mm-hmm. when she talked about with motivation, Yeah. are you, you know, are you doing the thing sheerly for the love of doing the thing? Right. You know? Is it its own reward? Right. Because the work has to be its own thing. Yeah. So yeah, this is a no, great chapter. It was. It was really, really good. It was a good reading, and yeah, I liked it a it lot. It really was. So this brings us to our big idea. Yes. So what was your aha moment? It was the entitlement. You know, I have to say, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, you know, I responded a lot to this in Mindy Kaling's book, which I'd read, I don't know, a year or so ago, maybe mm-hmm. even more. Um, and I respond to it here probably because it's my biggest obstacle. You know, this idea that I can do this because I love it and because it's fun and that the, whether or not it, it like benefits anybody else is, is that's an added bonus, but it's not why you do it, you know? Um, and I think that it's, it's good. I, I, I don't think that I ever do it because it benefits anybody else. I never engage in creativity as some kind of like you know, martyrdom, like, oh, I guess I'll go ahead and write this romantic comedy. Because believe me, there is nobody out there who is suffering a horrible life because I didn't write one more romantic comedy. Like, you know, I understand that. I don't know. You have a beta reader that's dying to know how the current one ends. So that may not be a true statement. I got to get that done. But anyway, um, yeah, but I mean, you know, it's, but it's always something that like, I do this and people will laugh and they'll feel better and they'll be, their days will be brightened and all this kind of stuff. So like, I, that is how I give myself permission. Mm -hmm. And I think I just need that permission slip of, you know, you're a creative person. That is all the permission you need. It doesn't have to benefit anybody else. It doesn't have to be good for anybody else. It just has to be something that you want to do because you want to do it, you know? And, and that's always been, you know, kind of a struggle for me that, that if I'm going to do something, I have to find a way that what I want to do also benefits somebody else. And sometimes it's just a matter of massaging how I think about it you know, um, because I end up doing the thing that I want to do anyway, you know, (laughs) like, I mean, I haven't, I haven't ever not created something because I'm like, hmm, how is this going to benefit humanity? Like, you know, I just think of a way I'm like, oh, it's funny. It'll make people feel better. Okay. I'll write it, you know? Um, but the idea that I, that I have to have that in my head about how it's going to benefit other people before I do something, you know, I want to kind of let that go and just, and just, you know, kind of embrace this idea of entitlement, um, yeah, let the girl go. So, so that for me, I think is, is the big, you know, the big aha moment. So how about you? So for me, it was creative entitlement mm-hmm. and the idea of intention. 
and being clear and fiercely honest with yourself, which can be so mm-hmm. damn hard. Um, but on page 94, she said, speak it. Let it know you're there. Hell, let you know you're there. <laughs> because this statement of intent is just as much an announcement to yourself as it is an announcement to the universe or anybody else. Hearing this announcement, your soul will mobilize accordingly. It will mobilize ecstatically, in fact, because this is what your soul was born for. And that was the best definition of divinity I have ever heard. Yeah, that's the kind of divinity I get behind. I love it. Yeah, no, I I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I really, really like that. So what was your strong challenge? What did you resist? Oh, God. You know, I mean... (laughs) I don't know that I resisted it because I'm, I'm like fully embracing it, but it is that dark side of the, the entitlement, you know, the other mm-hmm. side of the entitlement, the idea that, that the haunted looks on the face of the others, you yeah. know, the idea that when you do things solely for somebody else, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, um, my mother would always, you know, everything I do, it's, it's for you. And it's, you know, to, to like take care of you and I have to do this for you. And she would never do anything just for herself. You know, but that was also part of her narcissism, the martyrdom, you know, Um, and it was always such a heavy weight on me when I was growing up, this idea that like my mother could never be happy because of me. You know, and and it wasn't until much, much later that I realized that she told me that to have control over me because it was a whole messed up mind game. But, but, you know, I mean, the thing is that like when you give up your happiness for other people, you know, as, as some kind of sacrifice, it puts so much weight on the other people. It puts so much weight on them that they have to carry that around knowing that you gave up everything for them, you know? And so that's something that like, I mean, I hope that I don't do that. Like, I don't want to ever do that. But I think the, the idea that I require of myself that anything I do be of benefit to others in order for me to feel like it's validated is something that I really need to work on. So I don't know that it's a, it's a strong challenge in that I resisted it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a challenge in that I'm, I'm still trying to find my way to it. You know, I'm still trying to like get to that space where yeah. I don't, everything I do doesn't have to be of value to other people. And I've really like, I have been making an effort to do that. You know, to like the whole like the self-care thing, you know, and, and the, the doing things just because I want to do them. I still feel so uncomfortable with it. Oh, me too. Everything that I've <laughs> done in the past, like in the past few months while we've been doing Big Strong Yes, I've really been trying to make this this effort to, to do things that are like just for me. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing them. But I'm so uncomfortable with it. Like I still, it bothers me every time. And, you know, I remember when I first started writing, I would always write, and I didn't see this until six, seven books in, I would always write these crazy mothers Mm -hmm. who were completely selfish. And I loved it because they just did things for themselves without putting weight on other people, right. you know, and those were kind of like my idealized mothers, you know, mm-hmm. this, this crazy woman who just went out and did stuff because it made her happy, yeah. you know, and, and I wanted that for my mother. I wanted my mother to be that kind of person. I didn't understand the, the deep level of, of personality disorder my, that my mother was engaged in at that time. Right. But, you know, I just, I wanted that weight off of me. 
you know, that I was the reason why she couldn't pursue her happiness and that she would just pursue her happiness regardless of what it did to other people. Um, And I mean, I dealt with that actually in so many of my books in so many different variations as I began to understand more. I mean, you can see my relationship with my mother evolved throughout all of my books. It's pretty crazy. Um, But, you know, but I mean, that's something that like, I don't want to do to the people around me, especially don't want to do it to my daughters. Well, you know, I think one of the best things that we can do for the people we love is to show them how to live in a way that makes us happy. Yeah. And it's so counterintuitive because yeah. we have ideas of, you know, selfishness beaten into us our whole mm-hmm. lives. Oh yeah. Cause but you it, had it too as a kid. Like oh, the one thing, the God, one thing your parents yes. used selfishness was the, to tell you you're selfish of all in my world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically anything I ever wanted to do was selfish. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, to be able to say, this is my one life and these are the things that is that are going to make me happy, right. which are going to make me happier to be around mm-hmm. as long as it's not crossing a line where your happiness is harming someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. I got to be on the side of happiness. No. And I mean, you think about the people you love. Right. You want them to do those things. You know, you want them to engage in their happiness and to find it because God knows you don't have the time to find it for them. No. (laughs) The two things I want for my son. Well, I have to say three. Mm -hmm. I want him to be happy. I want him to be healthy. And I want him to be empathetic. Yeah. And that Mm -hmm. would be my ultimate goal. Right. That you don't do things, you know, selfishly for you, regardless of the effect that it has on other people, but that, everything that you do doesn't have to be solely for other people's benefit either, you know, that you have to find that balance, you know? And, uh, yeah. So I find that challenging. So what about you? What was your challenge? Oh, honey. I had two. I feel so bad. I have two strong challenges with Elizabeth Gilbert. That's all right. (laughs) Two. (laughs) So the first was on page 89 and she said, Your very body and your very being are perfectly designed to live in collaboration with inspiration. And this was the first time I set the book down. Wow. Um, This was so hard for me because I don't just have body issues. I have body demons and not the cute anthropomorphic kind. Like Mm -hmm. it is hard enough to accept that I'm all divine and my creativity is all in love with me. And now I'm supposed to accept that my body was designed to work with inspiration. (laughs) And I was like, no. Just no, no. (laughs) So I pushed back on that about as hard as I can push back on anything from Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Gilbert. Um, And then on page 101, she said, do whatever brings you to life then. Follow your fascinations, obsessions, and compulsions. Trust them. Create whatever causes a revolution in your heart. The rest will take care of itself. And in the margins, I wrote, I want to do this, (laughs) but holy shit. Because, you know, a fully unleashed Kelly in the world might be a great source of destruction. So I just found myself like (laughs) gently setting the book down and kind of patting it, like to let it know there was no hard feelings. But these two things, like I think my hands literally went up in the air and I was like, no, no. (laughs) So I'm struggling with this. Yeah, no, I can understand that, you know, because you have this idea that that if you are unleashed, that if you are pure 100% Kelly, right? Yeah. <laughs> that somehow that's going to be a destructive thing. 
And I don't think that's true at all. I think that pure 100% Kelly is an awesome thing. And you are, you know, very slowly kind of moving closer toward that. I mean, every week of this podcast, I've seen you move closer toward that. But it is it is scary, I think, because you've been led to believe you know, throughout your life that left to your own devices, you will run through everything like Godzilla yeah. in Tokyo. You know? Oh, yeah. And I, I just don't think that's true. I think that you believe it at some part of yourself. But I don't think it's true. I think that that unleashed, you know, you are going to dance and create amazing things and, and, you know, put beauty out into the world, because that's the nature of who you are. That's you can't say things like that on the podcast because you make me cry. But it's and true. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. But it's hard to get rid of that. I mean, that's kind of the stuff like I, you know, I grew up with that, too. Like with this idea that, you know, who I am at my core is so nasty that I need to keep it under wraps. I need to keep yeah. it under tight control. And I don't think that that's true of either one of us. I think that we've been led to believe it by people who benefited from us believing that. I think but, it comes back to lovability individual yeah. and self-worth yeah like, and, as and it always does something every I'm, week every, every week. Like, week it comes back to that i'm not reconciling this shit in a week like it's yeah. just gonna take time it takes time so. it does but i think you've made progress though i really do i do too i do yeah. too and i'm glad to be doing this with you because it is helping oh good so good, what's I'm your glad. yes what's your action for this week um, God, my action this week, well, you know, I have this vague idea of like cultivate my sense of personal entitlement. You know? <laughs> I'd like to see you get that done by Sunday, please. <laughs> like what's a, yeah, what's a specific thing that I do with that? Um, because I think like the thing is like I have been trying to do that and I've been doing things that, you know, that are, that are like, you know, things that I want to do and just for me and all of this kind of stuff. Um, but you know, like you struggled with, with homework there for a while where you're like, you couldn't think of a specific thing to do for that thing. And that's kind of where I am right now. I'm like, mm -hmm. what do I do? Do I buy colorful nail polish? Do I, you know, I mean, yes. I bought some dresses last week and that Good. was really fun. I have these really pretty dresses that I love for Good. work, you know, nice fall dresses that are nice and, you know, a little bit warmer than, than what I was wearing over the summer. And, um, you know, one of the things I've discovered is that like, I never used to, cause I worked at home, you know, mm -hmm. for so long, like I never did makeup and I never, you know, I wore sweatpants all the time. Now I'm wearing like dresses and I'm putting on makeup and I'm doing my hair I and it. I find out that it's not, it's not onerous. It's yeah. not for other people. Like, there is something about doing that for me every day that feels good. And that kind of, you know, it's, it's just, it's not being pretty for other people. Right. It's you know, it's, it's doing it for me. It's doing it because I like it and because mm -hmm. it makes me feel good. And, you know, when I go out into the world, I feel good about the way that I'm going out into the world. I like wearing dresses. You know, I like having a skirt that when I turn, it kind of twirls a little bit. Like, I like that, you know, yeah. um, and I don't mind being girly, you know, so I'm kind of coming to peace with that, that part of myself that I've neglected for so long, Good. you know, and uh, and so like that's the kind of like I'm, you know, I'm buying makeup. Like, is that my cultivate my sense it's, of personal it's, entitlement? Like, it's I don't self -care. know. And I, I need you know. to get further along and teach me because I'm way behind. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to cultivate my sense of personal entitlement, whatever that means. And I'll, I'll try to come up with some examples for that next week when we do our homework. So how about you? So I'm working on creativity as a daily ritual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and originally I had put it as a daily habit, but I don't like that word. 
Right. So <laughs> ritual is so a, much better because it has meaning. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Creativity is a daily ritual. And then I'm finding myself thinking forward in my life in a way that I haven't in a very long time. Yeah. With the idea of being fiercely honest about what I want. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know exactly what that means yet. But I, I like know that. that it's something I want to do. So I just want to get more clarity around that. I like that. I think that's good. Yeah. Very vague homework. <laughs> no, we're, we're really in vague space this week yes. with our homework. But you know, what the hell? We're in creative la-la land. So, that's you know, right. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Every week we close with a quote. And because I was so inspired by Mindy Kaling, I decided to take a quote from her. And she says, People's reaction to me is sometimes, I just don't get her. I hate how she thinks she's so great. But it's not that I think I'm so great. I just don't hate myself. I do idiotic things all the time and I say crazy stuff I regret, but I don't let everything traumatize me. And the scary thing I have noticed is that some people feel really uncomfortable around women who don't hate themselves. So that's why you need to be a little bit brave. Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all.